This week's episode of A Cast of Kings is brought to you by Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it. You want something catchy and memorable. Hover gives you exactly what you need to find the perfect domain for your idea. And this week, we have a special offer code. You can get 10% off your first purchase by going to hover.com slash kingbeyond. Hover.com slash kingbeyond. Now, John Robinson, you chose uh, all of our Hover promotional codes for the season. So uh, why King Beyond? What was your, your uh, intention behind that? For this week, King Beyond refers to King Beyond the Wall, which is Mance Raider's title. So that was chosen in honor of Mance's big moment at the end of this episode. Some of my other codes later in the season are guesses. Mm. So we'll see how well they line we'll up. We'll see how well they guess. Yeah, this, this will be a pleasure for people to listen to. Like, does the code match up or not? Yeah, exactly. Or are you going to be incredibly embarrassed? But this we'll week find. I nailed it. So you they, nailed it. You nailed yeah. it. So hover.com slash kingbeyond. Uh, check them out for all of your domain name needs. Everyone and welcome to a cast of kings, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Game of Thrones. I'm David Chen, and shockingly enough, after all these years, I still have not read any of the books in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. And I'm Joanna Robinson. And since George R. R. Martin has not published any more books, I still have read every single book in George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. What we do here on a cast of kings is we will spoil everything through this week's episode of Game of Thrones. Um, but we will not spoil anything from future week's episodes of Game of Thrones. That includes anything in leaked, torrented episodes or in the next time on preview of Game of Thrones. Uh, you can find more of our episodes at GameOfThronesPodcast.com. You can also email us at acastofkings at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at Twitter at acastofkings. This week we'll be spoiling everything through Season 5, Episode 1, The Wars to Come. Which This episode was written by uh, Weiss and Benioff and was directed by Michael Slovis. Uh, and so that's what we're doing here on A Cast of Kings. Uh, John Robinson, it's been a while since we recorded an episode. It's certainly been a long while since we did a recap. How do you feel today? I'm feeling great. I'm so excited to we be We are back. so excited. It's, it's ridiculous. My excitement for this podcast and this show has grown exponentially every single year. I, I remember after the first year, I almost jumped off the ship. Do you remember that? You sure did. It, we almost like terminated <laughs> the show, but we are back and I am like... I'm at a really good place mentally with the podcast. I love this show. <laughs> love talking with you about Game of Thrones uh, and love all of the listeners. So we really appreciate it. We should also point out that this season uh, we have corporate sponsorship uh, throughout the whole season. So uh, really grateful to all of our sponsors. And if you guys can patronize their wares, it would help us to uh, do the show again next year uh, for sure. It would, it would guarantee us uh, another season of, of Cast of Kings. So uh, keep an eye out for uh, our mentions of them. And uh, I guess before we begin our discussion of this week's episode, John Robinson, it might be worth mentioning uh, that there was a major news event in the last uh, 48 hours. Game of Thrones was put on torrent sites, the first four episodes of the show. That's right. And I think you have strong opinions on this, right? I do, mostly because they're obviously from... So I got news is actually before any of the major news site broke, one of our listeners let me know. 
um, that this had happened. And the original story I heard was that it was six episodes. Wow. Later found out it was four episodes, which is a little bit better, but also worse because it means it definitely came off of screener discs sent out to either media or other other places. Yeah, so for, for context, uh, people who work in legitimate media, like mm-hmm. Joanna Robinson, for instance, uh, <laughs> get screener copies on DVD of the show uh, before it airs. So in this case, they, send, they usually send out three or four episodes. In this case, it was four episodes. Right, and, and uh, each, each uh, episode... Each episode on each disc was watermarked with like a serial number. Right. And you can see on screen caps from the leaked episodes that the, the watermark was scrubbed, but it was definitely at one point there. So, um, yeah, it's really disappointing actually to me. And I've been pretty vocal about that on Twitter. You know, and I don't mean to sit here in my tower and be like, it's okay for me to get the first three, four <laughs> episodes, but not for you people. But, you know, it's stealing. I understand people who who pay for HBO feel like, well, I would have gotten it eventually. So it's not stealing. There's a number of ways you can justify it. And that's fine. But I guess most of all, I'm disappointed that we're not going to have the same week by week discussion about these four episodes as we usually would. I'm really, I told Dave, I was really worried about spoilers. I, I was on Tumblr earlier today. I typed in a character name into Tumblr or Game of Thrones and was bombarded with images from like the fourth episode. Wow. You know, so I don't know how anyone can go around on the internet or, or it's going to be harder, much harder to protect yourself from spoilers for those four episodes. So. Right, right. But I mean, you know, this is a danger that non-book readers have been living under for years. <laughs> How do you like it now? No. <laughs> yeah. How do, how do you like me now, Joanna Robinson? Yeah, I mean, this is something, this is the Damoclean sword that's been hanging over non-book readers for quite some time. So I, you were quite upset about it because you were worried that, you know, some harm would befall me in spoiler form. And for me, that has always been a risk. And so it's never, it's not like a brand new risk now. Um, I think perhaps you are feeling it acutely, Joanna Robinson, because the show is diverging heavily from the books now, right? Uh, so perhaps there is more potential that even book readers can get spoiled now. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Book readers have already been spoiled. So I, I think in the grand scheme of things, okay, uh, it, it kind of sucks. I mean, HBO, uh, game, HBO's Game of Thrones is one of the most pirated shows uh, right. on the internet. Uh, and so that just sucks to begin with. But they actually worked pretty hard to make it so that uh, people would have legitimate av- – they, they really – guys – They've really worked hard to make sure people have a legitimate avenue to watch it. I HBO mean, Now. They HBO you Now. You pay 15 HBO. bucks a month. You don't even oh. need to have cable. You can get Game of Thrones. They uh, made it so that Game of Thrones premiered in 170 countries simultaneously, mm-hmm. right? which is not usually something that's done. Yeah. Um, usually, and you know, in that situation, it's like, okay – you, that, it's almost understandable in that case. There, there's spoilers out there. People in the U.S. have watched it. And if you live in some country that doesn't get it, you know, that it, it's almost understandable that you would want to get it somehow while everyone else in the world is watching it. But, guys, there's almost no excuse now, right? They're debuting it everywhere or many places, many countries. They're uh, making it available on HBO now. So uh, I do hope that if you listen to this podcast, you have a way of watching the shows legitimately. People have asked me, are you going to watch the four episodes? Uh, and even if I was going to obtain them, I decided it would mess with the dynamic of the show. I mean, the whole yeah. purpose of listening to Cast of Kings is hearing Dave Chen hopelessly fundle around with plot details <laughs> that he cannot grasp at all and uh, you know, not understand what's going on and make horrible guesses about the future. So 
uh, I don't want to deprive listeners of that joy. <laughs> of that so. joy. Yeah, I mean, and you know, listen, we all do things. So of course, I'm not going to judge you forever if you if you torrent these shows and, and watch them. Um, but just be, you know, be mindful in our comment section around about our spoiler policy, which you guys are well aware of. If you ask me a question on Twitter about a future episode, I'm not going to. Usually, I answer people. I'm not going to answer you. I'm just going to ignore you until we catch up, uh, because. Yeah, yeah I'm not, not cool, guys. It. Not, not cool, cool, not cool. All right. So anyway, uh, just it, it was a very brazen leak uh, that happened like right before the show aired. So worth yeah. mentioning. Uh, and in terms of yeah, money going to you know Time Warner and HBO, whatever. I think the uh, people who made the show wanted it to be experienced in a certain way, and uh, we should try and honor that if we can. Uh, But let's dive into this episode, General Robinson. Uh, So this episode begins with a flashback. And uh, I think it's the first flashback we've ever seen in the show, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Right. Yeah. They filmed one actually for season one and you can, you can't really see the footage, but you can see some screen caps of it online. But there were, there isn't a flashback starring Sean Bean that was filmed for season one and never used. Fascinating. Um, Uh, But this is the first time it was actually used in the show. So big departure for that. Actually, I should say even before we get to the flashback that uh, opening credits, any any remarks about that? I think the one thing that I noted was that uh, Winterfell now has the House Bolton sigil. Yeah, it's right? so sad. I mean, so Winterfell for a couple seasons, I think, was sort of this burned out husk. Right. So that was sad in and of itself, but now it's rebuilt with with the flayed man on top, and and that's I don't know somehow even worse. Right. We all know how terrible uh-huh. the flayed man is. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it's it's sad, and uh, we saw Pentos, but I believe we had actually seen Pentos before on the show, if I'm not mistaken. We just hadn't seen it for many, many seasons. In the pilot. We saw it in the pilot. Yeah, yeah. So And then, and then like, not at all again. Right. So, uh, so we saw Pentos. And uh, anything else remarkable? I think that's, that's most of the uh, uh, notable elements about the opening. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we get to this flashback. Now, did you know when you saw the flashback that that was Cersei uh, in the flashback? Yeah, I mean, but yeah, because I knew it was coming. So. What do you mean you knew it was coming? Like in the book, how did it play? Was it a flashback in the book? Like, well, no, I, I just, I mean, I, I frequent Game of Thrones casting information sites and stuff like that, so oh, I so knew you, that they so had and cast, so cast as young Cersei. As young Cersei, exactly. Well, did you, know, you did you know based on hairstyle? Uh, yeah, the, I did know just because the hairstyle is exactly yeah. a match exactly for uh, Lena Headey when and what she has on. So, uh, so what's it was, funny is if you go back and watch season one. The, they hadn't figured out the wigs yet, and so Lena Headey has to wear these really awfully elaborate, braided, horrible wigs from season one. You can go see them. Sansa had to wear them, too. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, in the subsequent seasons, they're like, oh, no, this is obviously Cersei's look, and that's what she's worn ever since, basically. Mm. So in my, you know, cobbling it together, basically Cersei has had the same hairstyle her whole life, except for that one year when the Starks came to King's Landing and she thought she'd mix it up a little with some braids. So. In your mental reconstruction of Cersei's hair life. Which uh, is something I think about a lot. Yeah, no, you why wouldn't too. you? Yeah. It is amazing. So then uh, we get the scene where she goes to visit this witch to tell her the future. Right. Uh, and here's, here's a question I had for you. This is yeah. a question that, this is a General Robinson question that came to mind when I was watching this. She says, uh, I thought you had like cat's teeth. For instance, uh-huh. and you 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 know you look weird in this way, and in fact she just looks like a normal human that's a little bit more filthy than usual. In the book, does she actually have cat's teeth? 
She's hideous in the book. Yeah. She, she, she's called Maggie the Frog. She's, she's supposed to be older and, you know, your, your vision of a typical, like, uh, horrifying crone. And I don't know if it's just, like, sort of, hey, we're HBO, we like pretty people or what, but I thought she was quite cute. Right, that, yeah. That she, she, she looked like she would have cleaned up nicely. Yeah, in a, in, a, in a drinking blood sort of way. Yeah, of. Uh, and, but I bring that up because in the past – uh, the show has been known to insert references like that, where, uh, for instance, uh, like with Tyrion and his scar. In the book, I believe his nose is cut off, and they they right. reference it by saying, oh, I heard your nose was cut off, but it wasn't actually cut off in the in the show. Right, right. Um, yeah. So here, she's like, I thought you had cat's teeth, and you looked ugly. And in fact, uh, I, I, my guess was that that was how it was in the book. So right. was I, was I, the first Dave Chen prediction of the season vindicated then? Wow, you you nailed it. I am so you on top it, of bro. it this season. <laughs> All right. So uh, then she gives the uh, prophecy. You know, yep. she wants to know her future. And and uh, Maggie the Frog says, everyone wants to know their future and, until they know their future, which is a very astute comment. Right. Uh, and a few interesting uh, factual nuggets she drops, right? Firstly... Right. She says that you'll have 20 children and uh, – or, or your husband will have 20 children and you'll have three. Right. So uh, this is a reference to Robert Baratheon who I guess had 20 bastard children. Right. Uh, and she has three uh, who right. we've all seen in the show. Right. Um, I think she, she was also saying like how she was supposed to be – she was supposed to marry Prince Rhaegar I believe. Right. 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 And that mm-hmm. didn't come to pass. Right. Uh, and then finally, uh, there were a couple of remarks on uh, gold will be their crowns and gold their shrouds. Mm-hmm. What is what is that? What do you make of that, John? Robert? Do you, what is she referring to there, or do we are we supposed to know yet? Well, I mean, I think um, gold will will be their crowns has that fun double meaning of you know they're known for their blonde hair. That's that was part of a big season one plot was yes. the the Lannister children in their blonde hair, and also that you know. Joffrey wore a gold crown. Tom wore a gold crown. Will and Marcella wear a gold crown? We don't know. And then gold will be their shrouds. They don't say it in this, but I think it's – I can't quite remember, but I think it's indicated in the book, you know, that at least Joffrey dies before Cersei. That she will see at least one of her children die, you know? Right. Well, what does that have to do with gold being their shrouds then? Just a reminder that they'll die. Not necessarily the color of their shroud, but that they I will see. die. I see. Well, then, I don't know. That sounds pretty inaccurate as a prediction. But, uh, no, fair, fair, fair point that, that, that it is a chilling reminder of their mortality. There is a weird thing, though. They, in, the, in the show, they had – I don't know if you remember this from season one. It's, like, decently obscure. But um, Cersei tells Catelyn Stark that she had a black-haired baby by Robert Baratheon and that the baby died. And I believe this was a show invention and not right. a book story. Right. Um, so when Maggie the Frog is like, you'll have three children and gold will be there. You know, like, I think they're just retconning that whole, like, show invented. I had a child by Robert Baratheon and it died. You know, because right. it, it's, it, you can't really, Maggie the Frog can't be like, you'll have three children. Gold will be their crowns. Also one with black <laughs> hair. It will die very early. Very sad. Right. It doesn't flow on the prophecy. So I yeah. agreed. They needed to make it more poetic. So they yeah. eliminated that. Re- or you could read it that, uh, Cersei was lying to Catelyn Stark when she told her that. Absolutely possible. Would Definitely. not put it past Cersei for sure. Yeah. So that was in season one, right? If I recall correctly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
and there's more to the prophecy in the books and it's I won't talk about what it is at all but it's interesting that they left it out uh, this is what you know the reason I bring it up is because every time they leave something out then a book reader will go like oh then is that not important to the end game I thought that was important I right. guess it's not you know right. Right. so book readers are like oh I guess that thing is you know it's like if if you listen to the Harry Potter prophecy and half of it just like didn't end up meaning anything at all you right, know so you're right. like oh maybe that doesn't mean anything or, or, or they'll, they'll introduce do a, it yeah yeah they'll introduce maybe it they'll do another flashback later or, in a different way. you know a different way exactly so. it is interesting that they did a flashback uh, uh because the show has invested so heavily in people talking about the past right uh, but i guess they just decided hey sometimes it's more effective to just see it well i um, think um without i don't think this is a spoiler to talk about just to say that um Weiss and Benioff did say in the sort of post Game of Thrones um, special that they do on HBO, the like two minute inside the episode thing, yep. that they really wanted to put a strong focus on Cersei at the beginning of this season. They yes. wanted to kick it off with a strong Cersei focus, and so they thought it was important to give her that. that. I did. I did see that, although I I feel like that's technically in the spoiler range, Joanna. But um, fair enough. Uh, I. I I think it's they're trying to set the tone for the whole season, basically, right? right? right. So, not giving you a hard time, just no, no, no. Just, just, it's it's a fine line to walk. I just understand. Laying, just laying out what I think the ground rules are. That's all. <laughs> so, uh, but I think the key component of the prophecy, which we haven't mentioned, is uh, we now learn why she's so hateful and insecure against Marjorie. Right. right. The, the, this... She gets like a, a Snow White type prophecy prophecy of like you will not always be the fairest of them all in the kingdom. There will be someone younger and fairer than you who will take your place. So Yeah. So then uh, cut to present day uh, where she goes to Tywin's funeral uh, or visits you know, Tywin's, uh, the area that he's in, the, in the sept. sept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, uh, where they had that you know, erotic scene last season. I know. Were you nervous that there would be another sort of... <laughs> They're going to do it like on his dead body. Uh, it, Another dead body sexual encounter. I wouldn't put that past the show for sure. Uh. Uh, but fortunately that didn't happen. He never wanted you to be a king's guard. But here you are protecting his dead body. What he built. It's ours. He built it for us. He meant it for us. They're going to try to take it away. All of it. They? All of them out there are enemies. They're waiting in line to make sure he's really dead. And as soon as they see the stones on his eyes, they'll set to work on tearing us apart. They have nothing to do with it. The man who murdered our father, he tore us apart. He's the enemy. I've been telling you for years. You've been defending him for this years. This is exactly what they want. And now our father is dead. And that little monster is out there somewhere drawing breath. Cersei is pretty pissed because, I mean, she uh, – I don't know if she thought in her heart of hearts that Tyrion was responsible uh, for Joffrey's death. But she certainly didn't like Tyrion and was using uh, Joffrey's death as an excuse at least to get him out of the picture. So the idea that uh, Tyrion would you know, take out her, her father, who is someone that she does care about despite his uh, – some of his behavior, uh, right. you know, I think that – really struck a chord with her and she's obviously very upset about it. Uh, and the fact that Jamie's the one who let him out. Right. Which is a double betrayal. I guess I feel like she was really pissed in the scene, but I feel like one would be even more pissed than that. Um if that was actually what had happened. I don't know. 
Um, then again, Cersei has generally uh, been able to keep good control even when she's incredibly pissed and hateful. So right. uh, it certainly fits with the character. But just like she's definitely seething with rage in the scene. Uh, and yeah, so I thought it was, uh, uh, you know, just a continuation and exploring the implications of Tyrion's actions from last season. Anything else to say about the scene, Joanna? Yeah, I did want to say, I mean, I really, I, I will fight you if you tell me this is a spoiler because point of view characters die all the time in <laughs> Game of Thrones. Uh, but this is the first book, this season's covering the fourth and fifth books. This is the first book where Cersei is a point of view character. This is the first time we're inside her head. Um, and it's also kind of, if you don't count Jamie in the last book, but Jamie was kind of a good guy in the last book, this is the first time a, kind of a villain is a point of view character. So it's really interesting. I mean, the reason Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire are interesting is because you don't really have, with a few exceptions, you don't have die in the wool villains and heroes, right? The book works hard to get inside the head of these villains so you can understand at least the source of their motivation for all the crappy things they do. Like Joffrey aside, who's just an evil little monster, right? Right. Um, so I just think it's interesting that uh, we, we have that turn in this book towards being inside the head of such an unlikable character. Right. Um, yeah. So uh, then why don't we just talk about the whole Tyrion storyline at, at yeah. this point? Because um, it does cut back to it. Uh, but... Tyrion ends up in Pentos with Varys. Uh, some great point of view shot from the crate. Uh, like really interesting editing and, and shooting there. This episode was directed by Michael Slovis, who uh, used to be director of photography on Breaking Bad and actually yeah. directed a few episodes of Breaking Bad, if I recall correctly. Yep. Uh, and so when, whenever a cinematographer becomes a director, I'm always looking out for, is this episode really well lit? And I have to say, this is some of the best lighting I've seen in a Game of Thrones episode. I mean, just everyone looks amazing in every single scene. Uh, it's generally a well-lit show, but I, I thought it was uh, exceptional for this episode. Now, you wouldn't so. notice that if you torrented a crappy uh, <laughs> rip of a screener. Cause what, screener... Was, what was amazing is apparently some people are complaining about the quality of those screeners on the torrent sites. Which, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, which is understandable because, um, you know, you get DVDs, which are not HD – Right, well, you get like, cr- the screeners are notoriously crappy. That's just what they are. Right, they, they're, and then you, and then most of us end up watching the show again when it airs in in high definition. Right, so there and there's they are purely utilitarian. Yeah, for, it's just for, for plot. viewers. Right, um, oftentimes it's like substandard definition. It's just it's <laughs> grainy and awful, and you're just like getting the basic bones of the plot down. <laughs> this, so. is, this is either uh, a really good encouragement to not watch the Torrented Files or the ultimate humble brag, John Robinson. Is it okay? Um, <laughs> <laughs> One or the other, maybe both. <laughs> um, so they arrive in, uh, you know, Tyrion arrives in Pentos. Uh, great, hilarious, like great Tyrion dialogue as usual. Um, and Varys too. I had the opportunity to watch this uh, episode with a bunch of Microsoft employees. Uh-huh. Uh, and the scene where he vomits wine and then starts drinking again, got a huge laugh out of the whole crowd. Nice. Which, by the way, is amazing. Like, it's great to watch Game of Thrones with a crowd, by the way. Yeah. Uh, just a very enjoyable experience. So, uh, anyway, uh, so they have this talk about, uh, you know, Varys kind of, kind of delivers a summary about uh, the, the path that's led them to this point. 
yeah. and how Varys and others supported a Targaryen restoration. Now, I don't recall the Targaryen restoration. Is this something that uh, has been prominent in past seasons, Sean Robinson? No, and I don't even know if that phrase has been used in the show before. Right. But I mean, anyone can figure out what it means, which is that, you know, put the Targaryens back on the throne, get rid of the Baratheons and the Lannisters, and put the Targaryens back in power. So. Right, which is interesting. Well, firstly, uh, I mean, the, the proximate cause of the events of the show is the murder of Jon Arryn by what we learned last season was Littlefinger, right? Right. Uh, so it's not like... Varys was the one that instigated the changes that led to the Targaryen restoration. But it's also interesting that it was a major plot point in season one that they try and kill Daenerys Targaryen. Well, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Well, and that's inconsistent in the book as well. Because Varys reveals that he is part of the Targaryen restoration. Um, and then you think back and you're like, wait, wasn't he the one who told... You know, Robert right. that she was pregnant. And this is like Dor- a whole Dor- like twenty four mole situation all over again, where you like find out this person's the mole, and then it's like, wait, why would they have <laughs> helped the enemy in this way? That you know, yeah, like- it doesn't necessarily scan. But I think one thing you can say about Varys is that he has just a million balls in the air at all times, right? And so he's working like nine different plans. Um, you know, I think the original plan, but none attached to his body. Oh, oh, oh. Um, I think the original plan was to put Viserys, her brother, on the throne, even though he was the worst. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, and so, um, but I, I don't know why Varys would incite Robert to go after Daenerys. And <laughs> as far as we know, he had nothing to do with her, you know, being saved. That was all Jorah's, like, crisis of consciousness or whatever. So, of uh, conscious. So, um yeah, it, does, it doesn't track very well. It yeah, it's, it's weird. But what's interesting is that um, I, I don't I, – it's, it's fun to be back. It's so new and exciting, but I can't remember how often it is too often for me to bring up the books. But this plan of Varys, like – because do, do you feel like even if some things don't track, you kind of feel like you understand what Varys has been doing this whole time? No, not really. No? Well, why, why do you ask? Well, I'm just saying – in and this has no bearing on the show because who knows what they're doing now? I don't know what they're doing. But Varys disappears after he puts Tyrion on a boat. He disappears, and you don't see him in the books. For, you mean in the books? Wow! He, he doesn't go with Tyrion on the boat. He just puts Tyrion on the boat and he disappears forever. But Conleth Hill is so great, and Conleth yeah. Hill's uh, dynamic with Peter Dinklage is so great that they're like, why not just keep those two together? It's better TV, and it is. Uh, so you don't get this information from Varys until way, way later. Uh, so it's interesting that they're, that they're putting it here, um, just to free him up, I think, to do some cool off book stuff, whatever it is he's going to do, you know? Interesting. All right. That'll be cool. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, his, his whole, (laughs) the aha moment of the episode is who said it was a him or, you know, or whatever he's, you know, whatever the exact line is. Right. Uh, his plan is to install Daenerys Targaryen on the throne. I think we as viewers are supposed to root for this plan. Yeah. But I don't know if I do. I mean, she... Okay, I I think uh, there's that saying, you know, democracy is the worst form system of government except for all the others. Uh Uh, And I think uh, that's how I feel about Daenerys Targaryen ruling, you know, Westeros. She, she is the worst ruler, except for all the others. That's kind of how I feel. I well, mean, look, she she clearly has good of, intentions, 
but the complexities of governing uh, are not something that she even has any desire to grasp. But it's not okay. So good intentions are important. Yes. The power that she has, the unquestionable power that she has with her dragons, and in the um, in the books, it's a less cool, like feminist, like who said it was a she thing, and it's um, she's referred to like when Tyrion asks that question, he the answer he gets is a three headed dragon. Like that's the forceful answer he's given. It's like not a not a person, a three headed dragon, and that's what Danny is. And uh, so she's got this like. I, you know, it's what Tywin Lannister had, this iron fist to rule the kingdom, which you need, you need that show of strength. And then what Varys wants to do, according to this episode, is install Tyrion as her advisor. What, that's the dream team. Right. Danny has good intentions. She will listen to good advice. She just uh, doesn't sometimes, always get. Okay, sometimes. Sometimes. She's got the forcefulness that she needs to rule. And if she listens to Tyrion, uh, that, that would be a great team in theory in theory in theory uh I, right I, don't you think yeah i i get i just i mean i agree firstly with firstly she doesn't even she doesn't even take the advice of those like around her on a regular basis and you know she said in this episode like i am not a uh what was it um i'm not a ruler i'm queen or something like that right like she she doesn't yeah, seem to have any it. concern for you yeah. know rules yeah. and regulations uh, which is not, you know, that's what makes, oh, I'm not a politician. I'm a queen. That's what she said. Right. right. Uh, and that's cool. That makes her really appealing. But uh, I don't know that, um, y- y- you know, the last person we saw with like uncompromising morals ended up with his head cut off. You know what I mean? Uh, right. And that's why Tyrion's a better hand of the king than Ned Stark ever was. Tyrion is a great, the best hand of the king we saw. John Aaron might have been good. We don't know, but like, well, we do know. But like, Tyrion was the best because he understands the game. He understands how to play it. He'll never rule himself. You need a beautiful dragon queen to rule, and Tyrion is the brains behind the operation. Whether or not Danny would cede that power to Tyrion, like let him be the brains of the operation, I don't know. Right, but, but nothing in the show has said that she would. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, like occasionally, like if he earns her trust, if he shows her, she just hasn't had a consistent advisor who, you know, she's, um, who she can trust. Right. Like Jorah, she feels betrayed her. And so I, I just don't feel like she's been given the opportunity to form that relationship with someone whose advice she can trust and listen to. But I also agree with you that she still also is headstrong and impetuous. Yes. And not the smartest when it comes to politics. So. Well, let's talk about Maureen. Uh, okay. So uh, we cut to Maureen and uh, there's this massive, you know, really impressive sequence that was in the trailer for Game of Thrones Season 5. Uh, and I didn't know – it, the trailer made it seem like a culmination, like a climax. Right. But in fact, it had, it's like the first scene of Maureen where toppling over um, a symbol of the old government – which is something that people do in real life. Like they take these symbols of dictatorships and, and topple them over and, and destroy them. Uh, very well done. And I just thought it was a nice touch that they built all these little wooden ramps. I know. I it's like that. you do not want to be on wooden ramp duty. Let me just put it that like inter- <laughs> yeah. You do not want to be building that, okay? Because that is freaking dangerous. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just kept thinking, man, who, who are all the who unsullied or newly yeah. freed slaves who had to build <laughs> – who, who like drew the short straw on that job? That's tough. Yep. Um, probably like dozens <laughs> of people died just getting that thing off the off the roof. 
and then we meet an Unsullied. Now, I got to tell you, my, my very first reaction was, did they replace the actor who plays Grey Worm? Because uh, we have this Unsullied, and it's like, wow, here's a, a big entry for this guy. Uh, and, you know, he, he looks vaguely ethnic. And I didn't know if like, they were replacing Grey Worm. But, of course, we find out later that's not the case. Uh, have we met this character before? I don't think so, right? No, no. Yeah, but he does, He has this big entrance. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes down, you know, uh, open breast alley uh, and finds like... Oh, that's the... my favorite alley in Marine. <laughs> it's really <laughs> picturesque. Nudity commentary this episode. Let's, just, let's do it quickly, John Robinson. We got a few boobs, um, but we also got a whole lot of male ass this episode. We did, and we don't need to have the debate of, like, do boobs equal male ass or whatever. We're not like, going to have that debate. But let's not just... talk about it. But I will say that, and we'll get to this a little later, but the sex position that Game of Thrones is so famous for, the sex position in this episode, the two instances, were male nudity focused. Yeah. So that so is true. Good on good on Game of Thrones for bringing it back. Yeah. To the, way to, to way male to... <laughs> back, if you know what <laughs> yes. I'm saying. Yes. You just, way you to bring just, the man ass. You stepped over my brilliant joke there, i'm sorry Jones, we can it's... re-record no nope, no nope, like, we're leaving it, it in we're All leaving right. it in um so anyway uh great scene here where you know he all, all this all this unsullied wants is a little bit of affection right he just wants a little bit of uh, uh this woman little... singing to him while bare-chested try a little tenderness and who doesn't want that even if whether or not you have genitals who doesn't want that mm-hmm. Uh, great shot where it's like a long continuous shot. It kind of uh, closes in on his face. And then in that same continuous shot, his throat gets cut. Yeah. Uh, really shocking. Like, did it surprise you or did you know it was going to happen? No. Well, I mean, it's in the books. It's literally, well, you know, and until he goes to the brothels and ends up dead because of the sons of a harpy. So it's not exactly done the same way. So I think the way it was shot, the way that Slovis... Uh, and his DP or whatever shot it, um, it was surprising. Right. It was viscerally upsetting. And yeah. especially when the son, son of the harpy and then the prostitute both stand up and like look down at him. Right, and she that has was... like blood all over her Ugh. chest and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's like this thing that was used to sexually entice you is now uh, something, you know, a, a, a tableau of horror, essentially. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really good stuff. Um, so then... Uh, the sons of the harpy are the ones doing the killing. Yeah. So who are these guys? Do we know? I, I, I didn't really get a good sense of who they were. They were just people from the old regime, right? So if you want a really, really in-depth, detailed explanation, that's probably more technical than you need, more book knowledge than you could ever use. You can go to vulture.com and Nate Jones wrote a post, something it's called like, who are the sons of the harpy or something. You know, one of those very useful internet things. So you can get the entire backstory, which you probably will not need. All you need to know is that these are people who are upset with what, how Danny has changed the city. Uh, their faces are hidden. So you don't know if they're nobles. You don't know if they're um, common born, but it's, probably a mixture of the two because we see this prostitute like she's one of the you know people who should be grateful to have been liberated by danny in theory and she's in cahoots so uh, you know suffice it to say that people are not happy with what daenerys has done and um uh, you know I, i wanted to talk briefly when we had this big debate back at the end of season three 
and my hands were tied and I couldn't talk about it. <laughs> but, you know, that shot that we discussed and a lot of people discussed at length of Danny being lifted up by this sea of like brown people and she's this white savior and it's this whole thing. And a lot of people were really unsettled by it and unset- unsettled by Danny's whole, whole arc of this white savior. But what I couldn't say then, what I can say now is that it's not that's supposed it's not to be as black and white so to speak well it's supposed to be a problem it's supposed to be that danny doesn't get it and she's like you know fuck your traditions we're gonna do it my way and she doesn't understand that that doesn't work necessarily and so this is this is the you know blowback from that attitude that white savior attitude that you know for all her good intentions she she has so. right no fair point fair point um, so then, uh, like, let's just talk about the whole Danny storyline uh, rather yeah. than jumping around and say that later on, uh, speaking of traditions, people say, like, reopen the fighting pits. She's not cool with it. Um, but uh, she does appear to uh, listen to reason uh, when she is. So I, I had, like, almost forgotten that they were sleeping together. I, like, I didn't know if that was, like, a one-time thing or if there's still, like, regularly uh sleeping together and apparently they're like a thing kind of probably not publicly her and yeah I, I believe he is her side piece as the children say as, 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 as the, the kids, kids say, as the kids say <laughs> her side piece yeah but she doesn't have a main piece right she's just right that's just it for her right. um and so yeah he kind of talks about like firstly i thought he he talked about a couple of different he he, he conflated a two two different things in the scene john robinson we we get a nice shot of his ass yes. which is very very glorious much appreciated uh and then he starts talking about uh, how he made his way up the fighting pits and actually, honestly it reminded me of the plot line of gladiator the uh, ridley scott film yeah, yeah basically yeah. like oh yeah i worked my way I, I used to be nothing i used to be a slave worked my way up uh, and, you know, became who I am today. Uh, and then, so I thought the conclusion was going to be, oh, therefore, reopen the fighting pits, like show your strength by showing that you respect people's traditions. But then he just goes into the whole, like, uh, people want to see your dragons thing, which I thought was like a fairly, I, I didn't know how that connected to what he was saying before. Do you know what I mean? You don't think he was just saying this is a show of strength for you. Like reopen the fighting pits because people will like it because of tradition. And it's actually a show of strength to give them this concession. I thought that's and what also, you were saying. I thought that's and what also saying, but- put your dragons on there and that'll make it seem even stronger for you. Mm. Show them your biggest weapon in these fighting pits. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. Uh, it, it, it was, it, I thought I, that's what he said in the scene. I no? didn't make the connection. I guess I just didn't track that. That was what he was trying to say, especially because the scene right afterwards uh, where she goes to visit her dragons, it's not 100% clear that like that is a good course of action for her. Uh, I mean, what I'm, I think we're meant to take is that the dragons are uncontrollable or, or not easy to control. Yeah, unruly. Unruly. Yeah. And, and so, yeah. I, so I guess like, you know, the, the part about reopening the fighting pits seemed like good advice juxtaposed with uh, you know, murky advice about bringing back the dragons. Which well, it's, it it kind of ties back into what I was saying about um, one of Danny's biggest assets as a ruler is the fact that the dragons are her show of strength. She's got the unsullied. That's true, though they're being sort of picked off by this these sons of harpies. But uh, 
the dragons are her real, you know, they're her WMDs as we've, I think referred to them as on the show before. And the fact that Drogon is missing and she's got two of them chained up because she will, you know, like there was those little children's bones at the end of last season. Um, that weakens her position considerably. And so Dario isn't wrong that she needs to bolster up her power by, and and that the dragons are her best chance of doing so. Right. Um, Okay. Well, you know, uh, I, I, I didn't track for me, but that is true of a lot of things in the show. So uh, fair enough. Um, But any other thoughts on, on Daenerys storyline this episode? Um, oh, really quickly, I want to say that there was a new person on her small council. I don't know if you noticed that, but Mosador. Yeah. Yeah. And did you recognize him? No. Yeah. No reason that you should, but that, uh, <laughs> that guy was when Grey Worm infiltrated Marine last season, like went in through the sewers and freed all the slaves and Marine. And that's how they overtook the city. Mosador was in there sort of talking to the fellow slaves being like, we should follow Daenerys. She, oh, right. I you know, that, yeah. Yeah. So it's, that's that guy. And so basically Danny has put him on her small council, basically in place of Jorah. Uh, he's a little bit of local flavor, I guess, on Very her cool. council. Yeah. So. yeah. so she can listen to, uh, you know, the, the will of the people, uh, but just not necessarily certain wills of the people. I guess so, yeah. John Robinson, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Let's say you're Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah. Okay. You you let's say uh, also the internet existed back then. <laughs> yeah. And you okay. wanted to get your ideas out there in uh, a, a really easy, uh, uncompelling way. In order to do this, obviously, step one, gotta buy a domain name. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, forget sending a raven. Yeah, I mean, why would you send a raven website. if you could buy yeah. a domain name? Yeah. Uh, here's the problem, though, Jenna Robinson. Most domain registrars suck because they try to upsell you on this stuff. And Daenerys, you know, they, they try to do you want all this r- other stuff that you don't need? And they make their websites really difficult and uh, they may have objectionable advertising practices. And, you know, you, you ask yourself like, okay, Daenerys Targaryen, she's not going to stand for any of that stuff, right? No. She will want a really convenient, easy experience. Um, and for that reason, I think that Daenerys Targaryen would choose Hover.com. Now, I have no, uh, nothing to back that up, but uh, I suspect that she would because uh, I use Hover.com. And, if and you, you use, fancy yourself like a mother of dragons? That's type? right. I do fancy mm-hmm. myself quite yeah. a bit, Jenna Robinson. Uh, if you go to Hover.com slash King Beyond, you get 10% off your first order. Uh, and Hover.com is a really great way uh, to secure a domain name in a hassle-free, frictionless uh, environment that doesn't try to upsell you, doesn't try to do all this crazy stuff to you. It's just really freaking easy to use. In less than five minutes, you can find the domain name you want and get it up and running. Uh, and also, I want to point this out. Like On a personal note, they have like really cool domain names. Like For example, uh, we, General Robinson, we used to do a uh, Breaking Bad podcast. We did. Called The Ones Who Knock. We did. Uh, we may again one day. We may could, again. Could happen. Uh, and uh, we stupidly, or me, I stupidly, did not renew that domain name, the ones who knock.com. So someone else snatched it away. Instead, I bought another domain name from hover.com, bettercallsaul.audio. Now, a lot of people will think, wait, what? Dot audio? That's a domain name? Yeah, it is. And you can buy dot audio and many other cool domain extensions at hover.com. Again, 
Use uh, promo code hover.com slash uh, what is it again, John Robinson? King Beyond. King Beyond. Okay, I, I, keep, <laughs> I keep worrying that like it's like King, you know, North of the Wall or something like that. But it's actually just hover.com slash King Beyond, uh, and you will get ten percent off your first order. Uh, so I think we can all agree, John Robinson, that that is a you know someone like Daenerys would want a really expedient way of getting what she wants. I think you have to ask yourself. <laughs> WWDD, what would Danny do? Right. And, and go to hover.com, right? Exactly. Uh, hover.com slash King Beyond. Yeah. So, <laughs> all that being said, we really appreciate hover.com backing our show uh, this year. And here's the thing, John Robinson there are so many amazing supporters of uh, Cast of Kings. They also include our listeners. Uh, and even though we have amazing corporate sponsors this, this year, they wanted to back us anyway on Kickstarter.com. And in return, we promised that we would read slash butcher their names on the show. So who do we want to thank this episode for backing us on Kickstarter, Joanna? Okay, I'm going to start us off uh, with Brock Wilbur, Brent Lindquist, Pete Asik, Amanda Rose, Brandon Tate, Alex Marl, Mason Williamson, Mike Vecchio, Hector Leal, John Hodor, Hydeman, Angus Ho, Joe Shannon, and uh, Nitzar Babul. And yeah. thank you guys so much. I think that Alexander is Alexander Morell, by the way, I should point out. Because <laughs> I think uh, he's, he's a frequent cast. He is. And I, yeah. thought, I, had, I you, thought it was Merle. I, already, I swear we've done this before. It's so awkward when you <laughs> pronounce someone's name like one way for a really long time and you like interact with them. And then later on you find out that it's pronounced a whole different way. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I I recognize Alex's name right away because he used to do like the longer sponsorship with us. I just thought I I thought I knew how to pronounce his name. Well, so Alex, let us know if I butchered it or if Dave is correcting me unnecessarily. All right. Uh, well, I'd like to thank Trevor Scholler, uh, June St. James, Josh Parham, Connor Griffin, Kelly Beam. That's Beam with an M. M- Emily and Ethan Choi. Choi. Yeah, okay, that's a weird spelling of Choi. Um, Clodaric Mars. I'm, I'm convinced that's not a real name. Um, Marty Schmuder. Richard Barley. JT. Jamie Barker. Danny and Megan Mann, who are married now. And Congrats. Kate Rarick. Wow, I, I had a much harder time with my list than you. <laughs> but thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks to Hover.com slash King Beyond. And thanks also to all of our Kickstarter backers for uh, letting us continue Cast of Kings this season. All right. A couple more plot lines to get to this episode, John Robinson. Uh, so uh, let's see. Let's get to all the minor episodes and then the minor plot lines and then conclude with the uh, wall plot line. Uh, so we go to the Vale uh, where we find Sansa and Littlefinger and um, Robin, who is comically bad at fighting. Uh, and... He's just as good at fighting as he is at anything else in his life. Correct. So when we last left off, Littlefinger had whisked away Sansa to the Vale for her protection, right? Right, right. And then uh, now they're going off to someplace even farther away where they, can't, uh, they can never be found. Uh, anything about this, this plotline that you think is worth mentioning other than that they're just going far away? Let's see. Oh, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, once again, I'll bring up the books and say that uh, Sansa's plot is really boring in the books. So the show has decided, screw that. We're going to 
send her off on an adventure. So I have no <laughs> idea what's, well, I have some ideas what's happening with Sansa, but no book related idea of what's happening with Sansa. Uh, we could have been subjected to a season of her hanging out with Robin in the Vale, and they're obviously not going to do that. And that for that, we can be grateful to HBO. So this is a way in which HBO is improving, or Weiss and Benioff are improving on George R. R. Martin's dumb Sansa plot. So in the book, in, in the book, did, uh, uh, Brienne and Pod, like, were they right there when Sansa's carriage passed? No. Mm-mm. Oh, that was just a show flourish. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So we meet Brienne and Pod, and they have, like, you just find out how dysfunctional their relationship is. Uh, and. Didn't you, know, you miss them, though? Yeah. Yeah, I did miss them. I mean, Brienne, Brienne says, like, I'm not. Here, here's my. The roller coaster of emotions I went through. Brienne saying, I'm not a leader, which in, in any conventional tv show or film that would set up a plot line for that person becoming a leader right sure. uh, but in game of thrones we know she'll probably become agonizingly close to being a leader before being brutally killed that's kind right. of my my uh prediction of what's going to happen based on that that scene uh it, it is kind of weird that you know pod was in, one of you know the ways he's introduced was very uh, diligent attentive and competent and that now he's be- basically being rendered incompetent by Brienne. I mean, she puts him down. It's pro- I'm guessing it's probably setting him up for like a hero moment where he proves his value. So that's my thoughts on that scene. Well, I feel like Pod has constantly proved his value. He's just uh, he's not like a seasoned fighter, and I don't think he ever has been. But you know, he I think he has not done anything for Brienne at all. I mean, if you watched the season finale of season four, yeah. uh, he is completely useless in that episode. Fair, you know, fair. so. Uh, so I, I think he'll maybe he'll have a chance to prove his value to Brienne, and that will be a nice uh, plot, uh, story arc for him. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else you want to say about Brienne and Potter? Shall we move on? I mean, you know, they didn't get to do a lot this episode, obviously, right. but I, I just they're a pair that I like. I like them together, um, and I love Gwendolyn Christie so much. So she can just like, you know, angrily glower at her sword and you know rant about things as long as she wants to. I'll right. watch it. She's great. She's great. So uh, then we go to Tywin's Wake. A few things happen here. Uh, firstly, amazing shot uh, where it's like right on Cersei's face and uh, Loras is talking to her. And yeah. she, there's just so little concern that Cersei has for whatever the hell Loras is saying. Yeah. It is, ama- it is an amazing way of showing disdain. Like she's just in the foreground in focus. Loras out of focus for virtually the entire shot. Great work there. Uh, and... So, firstly, I want to say that the this is this is an instance where uh, the previously on Game of Thrones definitely did some spoiler oh. action. Did oh, you, did it? Did it show Lancel and Kevin, or at least Lancel? Well, it showed uh, uh, Lancel, like uh, you know, giving the wine to uh-huh. Robert. Uh-huh. And so, I was like, why would they show this thing from like four years ago? Right. Unless they're gonna like pay it off this episode. Uh, so. Yeah, they showed that, and I was like, okay, they're probably going to pay that off. Because we'd always suspected, and by we, I mean me, and you probably knew, that Lancel I was, wasn't... I, no, I thought you argued with me that it wasn't clear, and I was like, oh, I, it's, it's pretty clear that that's what happened, that Lancel put drugs in... I think it was point. ambiguous. Okay. At the very least. And now it's clarified. And now now it's clear. Yeah. Um, there was a great shot where Cersei looks at Tommen, and uh, Tommen, like... <laughs> looks longingly at Marjorie, and you know that that was just that whole the whole dynamic of that playing out that's just amazing you know yeah. because uh Tommen's an adolescent 
uh, probably very taken with Marjorie because who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't uh, be? Who wouldn't be? She's a very beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. And Cer- there's just this like, I think the rage has shifted to resignation for Cersei. You know, like you, you don't sense like she's super angry. She's just kind of like, oh, well, that's the way it is. You know, I, I, I don't, I'm sure she's going to plot some kind of revenge plot. You know, there's, there's some fight in her left. Uh, but you know that it was just very, very kind of resigned and, and low key for her. Then Lancelot comes up to her and says, "You know, I, I've found he's born again. He's the show's equivalent yeah. born again Christian. He is, yeah. and uh, he apologizes for tempting her into their unnatural cousinly relationship. Uh, yes. Which you know, given that she's already born children from her brother, like that's the least of one of the least bad things she's done. Well, it's the tip of the incestberg." Yes, thank you for that imagery. Um, and also apologize, you know, like basically fesses up that they drugged Robert Baratheon hoping that something terrible would happen to him. Right. I'm a different person now. I found peace in the light of the Seven. You can too. They watch over all of us, ready to dole out mercy or justice. Their world is at hand. I will pray for your father's soul. <laughs> the day Tywin Lannister's soul into your help. So, I thought this is a... Like, I, I guess I feel like if we don't see Lancel again, this is a very weird thing to introduce four years later. Uh-huh. Uh, like... Yeah, so I'm just... I'm, I'm expecting that, that Lancel's going to play a part in this season. Otherwise, why reintroduce him just to pay off those seemingly very minor storylines that we haven't seen in four years. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So, uh, you don't have to say anything, but that's just my feeling about it. Uh, I shan't. Anything else to say about the scene? Uh, we also saw Kevin Lannister, who's Lancel's father, who we haven't seen since season two. He was in a bun- he was like in a handful of episodes of season one. The last time we saw him was at Harrenhal with Tywin and Arya, etc. Uh, so we haven't seen him for a while. And this is a great instance where they could have recast the actor. You know, they do that right. all the time where an actor goes away for a couple seasons and they're like, new actor. Uh, but they use the same one, which I really liked. Um, you know, he's Tywin's brother. So, you know, what I'll say, I, I don't think this is a spoiler. This is just like politics. There's a power vacuum in King's Landing right now because Tywin Lannister is dead. And, you know, Tywin may not have been the king, but he was basically the king. And he's dead, and you know, Jamie and Cersei talk about this. The vultures are circling, and what Jamie says is like, everyone out there wants what we have, and so uh, you know. What is he referring to? Everyone outside the sept, everyone who's not them. So you know, the Tyrells, well, well, the other Lannisters. To, he's referring to uh, their power. You're saying, right? Oh yes. Yeah. Wants you know, he said. He said, you know, our father built this for us to have. This is ours. Right. But now it's in peril because he's dead and he was the one holding it together. Right. So what are we going to do, basically? You know, so these other Lannisters are showing up. The Tyrells are in in play. You know, there's just like a, there's a huge power shift going on in King's Landing right now. So we'll see how it all turns out. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Well, that brings us to the next scene, which I, I have to say. So we see Loris and Oliver, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we, yeah, some uh, male nudity here. We see, we get a nice glance of Oliver's behind before he exits the door. Um, <laughs> I, it sounds like I'm very fixated on the male nudity, but I just want to point out it's because 
we pointed out all the female nudity. We might as well do the same for the male nudity. Sure thing. Uh, and I have to say, I just did not understand what was going on in the scene. I mean, I understood that Loris and Olivar were like, you know, gay lovers and stuff. And I, I got that part and I got that Marjorie saying you should be less, uh, you know, uh, open and out with that. I get uh-huh. that. That all makes sense. But what was that whole thing about, like, you know, you you know, like, you think I want my brother married to who? And, like, that if I'm married to so-and-so, then you're that means you'll get to do this. Like, can you explain this for me? Because I just didn't follow it. Okay, so Loris is engaged to Cersei. Yes. Right? And this is something that Tywin arranged. And so um, she's saying, well, now that Tywin's dead, you don't have to marry Cersei. It's great. And he's like, you want me to marry Cersei. She's like, why would I want you to marry her? She's awful. And he says, if I marry her, she has to come home with me to High Garden. She doesn't get to stay here, King's Landing. She has to come with me. And uh, you don't want your uh, crazy queen mother-in-law here. You want her at High Garden with me. Right. Okay. You know? And yeah. so he's like, if she doesn't marry me, you're going to be stuck with her forever. And then Marjorie goes, we'll just see about that. Right. Right. So, like maybe there's another way for yeah. me not to be stuck with Cersei forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. So these are, yeah, this is once again the power shift. Um, the other thing I wanted, you know, I talked, I teased some sex position. Um, <sighs> this is, I, I don't think this is a spoiler. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> here we go. You're taking my life into your hands here. Let's go. No, I don't think so. Um, Oliver mentions that Loris's birthmark looks like Dorn, which is right. where Oberyn's from. Right. Uh, that has a role to play this season. And so it was a, it was like a weird. Dorn does? Yeah. So it was like right. a weird moment to be like, hey, Dorn is a place. Here are some of its landmarks, like via <laughs> this birthmark on Loris's thigh. So it was like a weird little bit of, of sex position that they, they used to remind us all that Dorn is a place that exists. So. Right. And, you know, we still haven't seen the consequences of what happened. Uh, there, there's a bunch of, you know, let's talk at the end about all the plot lines last season that we haven't picked up on yet. So, yeah, there you go. All right, uh, and the last plot line here is uh, uh, Stannis at the Wall. You know, mm-hmm. last season Stannis like took over the Wall, uh, took control, uh, got control of all the wildlings in Mance Raider, uh, tries to get Jon Snow to convince Mance to bend the knee. And Mance, uh, you know, in any other show, Mance would see the right, right, or not any other show, but some other shows, he would see the uh, how that's a better course of action, how everyone would benefit more if he did, but... It's Game of Thrones, so of course he doesn't agree. Then bend the knee and save your people. They followed me because they respected me. Because they believed in me. The moment I kneel for a southern king, that's all gone. And how many tens of thousands are out there right now? How many women? How many children? And you won't go out and rescue them because why? You're afraid of looking afraid. Oh, I am... Fred. No shame in that. Jon Snow, in defiance of Stannis's and Melisandre's wishes, shoots Mance in the chest. Yeah. So, uh, and I love that because it's like, what are you going to do? Like, he's dead. You were going to kill him anyway. You just killed him slightly faster. So it's, you know, I, I do wonder if he'll be reprimanded, but it's like, ah, well, really? Like, you just killed him slightly faster, right? Like, it's not like he, uh, it's not like he saved him, for instance. Um, so there's a few interesting things to point out about, uh, this whole sequence of events. Number one, that kid who killed, uh, Ygritte is back. Yeah. I uh, want to ask you about that. Firstly, 
I, I just want to say that is, you know, of the 90% of things that Dave Chen says incorrect, that kid is in the 10% of things that I predicted correctly. It's true. It's uh, true. Which is that he would come back, he would kill Egret, uh, and like that would be a major plot point. But what were you going to say? You're going to ask me about what? <laughs> well, and I told you last season that he was completely invented by the show. Like Roz was, you know, rest in peace, Roz, the prostitute. But like, so he is now a narrative device that Weiss and Benioff can use to plug in wherever they want. I don't know what they're going to do with him because he's not you know, a book character. So my question to you, Dave Chen, that I'm asking, because I don't know, what do you think is Ollie's future? What do you think is going to happen with him? Uh, I think, uh, he, like, unlike Sam, who is John's friend, he'll, like, John can actually, like, train him up to be kind of his apprentice of sorts. I don't think John has had an apprentice thus far. I mean, he's had his friends, Gren, right? As that was uh, one of his colleagues from last season. Yeah, Gren and uh, Ed and Pip and Sam. Yeah, a lot of his friends died, so he does need like replacement friends. Right, he needs replacement uh, friends, and, and like one that he can actually like be an apprentice as opposed to like a clumsy friend. Right, and 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 John himself was the apprentice to um, Mormont. Right, Mormont. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, that, so, that would be an interesting sort of cyclical. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. Um, Melisandre in the elevator being like, yo, uh, are you a virgin? Are you a virgin? <laughs> and he's like, nope. And she's like, good. <laughs> what the hell was that about? I mean, I assume that like uh, there was that one season where like she had to use leeches on what's his name? Gendry. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so like, like her leeches potency, you know, may have to do with the sexual proclivities of the person they're taking blood from. <laughs> they do love penis blood? I don't know. You know, like, yeah. yeah, like, so at some point, like, maybe his virginity is going to come into play with one of her spells, is my guess. Mm. Um, so, that's my prediction. Okay. Uh, and then, anything else about this? I mean, curious what's going to happen with the Wildlings now that Mance Raider is dead. Yeah. Um, but S- So, can I say something? <laughs> Go, please. Uh, so hopefully the show isn't running too long, but, um, did you, did you see the story? I know you're pretty good at protecting yourself from like show related stories, but did you see the headline that George R. R. Martin said that they were going to be killing people in the show that they didn't kill in the books? I did see that. And I think you spoke out against that because that's something that's been done for all the seasons. Right. Um, I found, well, I just found a lot of the brouhaha around it annoying. Right. Um, oh yeah. We talked about this in the last Yep. Episode. Sorry. did. Okay, so Mance Raider is one of those characters. So that's our first one. Um, he doesn't die in the books. Or rather, someone dies in his place. Someone is like glamoured to look like him and dies in his place. It's very complicated. It's great that they changed their mind. This is much better. I, I work for a website called VanityFair.com. I read your reviews, people, and the number one negative review about me is that I mention what website I work for too much. So from here on out, I'm just going to say I wrote about this. And you guys will know where to look. So I wrote about this, about Mance Raider's death. How Wait, it's you, def- read, you read reviews like of the podcast you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And the people complain about you but They were like, whatever. Joanna wishes she was just writing her column on VanityFair.com all the time. Which I don't, you guys. like. Okay, okay. I so I have, a, people- I have a few thoughts. I have a few thoughts. Okay. <laughs> I have a few thoughts. Firstly, why are you reading the reviews? <laughs> okay. You shouldn't do that even though I know you can't resist. Number two. I will mention Vanity Fair from now. Like, people, if you thought that, if you don't mention it, Jonah Robinson, <laughs> I am going to now say Jonah Robinson from Vanity Fair all the time, which I know people will love because they love me saying your full name. No, no yeah, that's like a double, <laughs> double negative. Um, the reason I, the reason I mentioned it is like, 
if there are people who listen to this who also read what I write, I don't want them to think that I'm saying, like, I'm not aware that you probably already heard my thoughts on this if you read what I wrote last night about it. Uh, if you didn't, I want to talk to you about it. If you want to read about it further, you know where I work now. Um, but basically, they killed Mance Raider. Uh, you know, bummer, because I think we both agree that that actor, um, Syrian Hines, who's great, has kind of been wasted on the show. Um, do you remember that, like, they cast him, he showed up, and then he disappeared for a long time? You're yeah, like, he disappeared what for is, a whole, he dis- what he, is going on? You he know? had a great line about, like, I'm going to light the biggest fire yeah. the Earth has ever seen, and that's it. And then, and then he came was, back, and, and that was yeah. it. Yeah, so they never, you know, they never made that character work. And so I think they just decided to get rid of him. Mm. This is like, you know, show book departure. But I think it's great because wasn't this a great moment for John? In in the book, there still is a moment where John, like, orders some archers to put the guy who's supposed to look like Mance Raider out of his misery. But that's so complicated and unnecessary. Right. And isn't it more poignant that it's actually Mance Raider, this character that John has bonded with, uh, seeing him in pain, and then John takes a shot himself, and then he ha- and then the episode ends on a hero shot of Jon Snow. And Jon Snow, in my opinion, needs all the hero shots he can get because he uh, people people hate Jon Snow. I don't know why. I thought his season two uh, plotline was a little bit weak, but uh, I've actually been a fan of him the last two seasons. So. I thought season four went a long way towards rehabilitation. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I am now a fan of Jon Snow. I don't know why people hate him so much. So that's, I, you know, that's I think Kit Harrington took a while to get into the role. I think for book readers especially, Jon Snow is a young boy, and so a lot of the plots weren't really fitting. Right. So I think eventually the show figured that out and was like, okay, it, since Kit Harrington is obviously not a child, we need to change <laughs> his plot a little bit to make him seem even more badass. So it's not like, oh, look at this kid accomplishing this stuff it's like look at this grown-ass man doing some heroic stuff right so um you know i think they figured that out i think they're working on that i think this particular change is great and goes a long way towards making Jon snow into you know a, a convincing commanding heroic type right yeah totally so yeah so that's you know and in the past, inaccurately, I, I don't mean to get, I don't mean this for this to be like the Joanna Robinson gets defensive hour, but I think in the past people have mistaken my interest in the adaptation of the books as being a book purist, as thinking that the books are gospel. And I don't. I, and especially now that we're in the fourth and fifth, fifth books, which I think are pretty weak, uh, I applaud all the things the show is doing to tighten things up and make them more dynamic. So this is one of them. Uh, the, I, I would watch a TV show called the Joanna Robinson Defensive Hour. <laughs> so, that's a good – if you ever have a talk show. On, on PBS. Yep. That's it. C-SPAN 3 actually okay. is what it would be on. <laughs> All right. So I think that takes us to the end of this week's episode, Joanna Robinson, um, yeah. from Vanity Fair. So I think uh, <laughs> let's uh, – firstly, we should mention what was excluded in this episode, right? What yeah. we didn't see. We didn't see any of Arya, which is oh, a shame yeah. because – that was intense. Like, what what was going to happen with that? Yeah. Um, we didn't see any of Theon. Right. Which is also interesting. Uh, like, I honest, I'll be honest. I just don't remember what the situation was with Gendry and Mormont at this point. W- weren't they on a boat? If I recall correctly. <laughs> Gendry has been, or no, Jorah was. Last time we saw him, he was riding away from Danny, looking really sad. Yeah. Uh, and then last time we saw Gendry was like season three, I think. Oh, okay. okay. When he got into a boat. Yeah. And the, the still in a boat thing comes because the actor 
tweeted something at the end of last season being like he tweeted like still rowing because like he didn't show up at all last season so i think that's why people joke that gendry's still in a boat so is there anything any other plot lines that weren't brought up this episode oh gosh i'm sure but i can't uh, well i mean i guess the brand storyline we didn't didn't even occur to us to bring that up and and Rickon, who we haven't seen in forever, so yeah. you know. And and I guess uh, theoretically, like what's going on with the Boltons, like that right. is now its own story. So, the the go, people at Winterfell, I guess. right, right, because they show Winterfell in the opening credits, but we never go there. Um, but we've but, already but, talked. Uh, we... Stannis does talk about it. Right. He talks to John about it about how you know Roose Bolton, the man who plunged a knife into Rob Stark, is now sitting at Winterfell, and right. what are we going to do about that? So. We've talked about, um, you know, how uh, the, the show, like, has never really been really closely adhering, you know, the opening credits with what actually happens in, in the episode. So we won't harp on that again. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I am curious what's going on at Winterfell. So, uh, overall, what do we think of this episode, John Robinson? So I've heard people complain that it was boring and nothing happened. Uh, and... I don't know. I think it was even more dynamic than some of the other season openers have been. Cause I think in the past season openers have felt the need to check in on everyone. Mm-hmm. I think it was wise for them to cut someone. I mean, maybe it shouldn't have been Arya or, may- or maybe so. Well, time will tell, but, um, <laughs> like could we have gotten Arya instead of Brienne and pod maybe. <laughs> um, but the thing, the couple things that I, themes, overarching themes that I want to talk about are people in boxes. <laughs> this is a weird theme, but like, you know, Sansa and Littlefinger are in their like carriage. Uh, Cersei's in a litter. Tyrion's in a box. Um, so this is just sort of like this confinement, this claustrophobia theme that I think we saw um, a little bit in this episode. And then the power of of a name, because Littlefinger says that thing to. Well, he says it about a Robin. He says. Um, you know, the, Lord Royce of the Vale says, you know, Robin is useful at swordplay. What is he going to be? And Littlefinger's like, he's got a name. That's all he needs. He's got the last name Aaron. It's a very powerful name. It means something. But he's kind of looking at Sansa when he says it. And um, Barry says a similar thing about Daenerys, that she has the right name to rule. So just this idea of these, even though the, the deck has shuffled a lot in this game, the names are still important. Stark. Lannister, Targaryen, these are still very important names and, and they mean something because um, it hasn't been that long since the, even though it's been like years since we started watching the show, it hasn't been that, that long in, in showtime since Robert Baratheon was on the throne. So, Yeah, I would say it's a very solid season premiere. Um, it's not my favorite season premiere out of all the season premieres. Do you, but... do you know what your favorite is? Uh, I would surmise, if I had, if I had to put down uh, like a, a guess right off the top of my head, I would say it's probably the pilot, uh, which I thought functioned as like almost a conventional film. It's in and of itself. Um, season three also probably uh, is is one of my you know more preferred premieres, Game of Thrones season three episode one. Um, so yeah, uh, it's not my favorite out of the premieres, but it's. Uh, I would say it's definitely solid uh, and I think definitely we, very strong. I think we know that Game of Thrones needs a couple episodes to get all the pieces in place. I feel like people complained last year about 
season four not being very interesting until Danny like unleashed her dragons on um, Astapor, I think it was, or wherever, you know, like, right. or Yunkai. Like, you know, like Danny and her like drop the mic, drop the whip moment was when people got really excited about season four. That wasn't until episode four. So, you know, give it, give it some space to build to, and then we know that it's like, you know, probably a bloodbath as it is every season. We'll I see. think the biggest yeah. challenge in my opinion for the show is that uh, Tyrion was the closest thing the show had to protagonist and now he's scattered to the winds. Right. And, I just think it's going to be very difficult for the show to maintain a feeling of momentum uh, without Tyrion, like, kind of in play. That being said, the poster for the season is very spoilery uh, <laughs> and shows Tyrion, like, the poster is Tyrion encountering dragons. So we know at some point he's probably going to make it to Danny, or at the very least make it to the dragons. Um, so, like, maybe that will be the journey of the season is, like, watching what Tyrion does and, and kind of we're still with him even though he's not in King's Landing. Um, and, I, you know, I agree with you that Dinklage is, is definitely, you know, one of the most dynamic performers on the show. But he was kind of, you know, he was confined for half of last season. I think season three was really, you know, Tyrion's – season two, season three were really Tyrion's I, um, moments. I don't, agree, I, I don't agree with that, but continue. Okay. And then I think some people – like, I think your mileage may vary. I think there are some people who consider Arya the protagonist of the show – or some people who are right, crazy the and show consider- who they didn't even show this season, this episode, right? Maybe, right. So. Or some people consider John or Danny. Right. I mean, I I agree with you that that I think that Tyrion is the most interesting character, but I think other people have a, a different sense of how they watch the show, or maybe all of them pieced together combined. Um, but it's also true that you pay the price of brutally murdering um, your- a lot of your characters, right? And um, and also not only brutally murdering a lot of your characters, but continuously subverting uh, common, you know, conventional narrative yeah. devices. Like you can only do that so often until you know, like there's a reason why people fo- there's a reason why people follow those devices, <laughs> right? Is because people find them satisfying. Uh, and if you don't do that, then um, you, you better have something really compelling in its place. And for the most part, the show has succeeded in doing that. But, well, I just, I, yeah. but also to, your, to the point about season four, I mean, even though Tyrion was in confinement, like we still were with him. We were still rooting for him. And I mean, he had that spectacular courtroom scene that Brian Cogman wrote, you know, so. Uh, Are you not rooting for him? I mean, I know he's like just rolled out of a box where he had to stuff his shit out of a hole and is vomiting up wine and drinking some more. But are you not still on team Tyrion? I am, but it's just, he's so far away from like the main action of the series that uh, I just don't know. Uh, but uh, here's what, what I would argue. Yep. I feel like complaints I've heard in the past, maybe concerns from you, but maybe concerns from listeners is that Danny feels isolated where she is, which is true. I, I, th- I think that's also a legitimate complaint. I agree, but that's my point: is that they're seeding in characters from Westeros into, uh, like, into the eastern regions, because we know that Arya is headed that way too, to sort of bridge the gap between these two narratives and make it more cohesive. So, to send Tyrion over the Narrow Sea does take him away from the main action of King's Landing, but it also, you know, the the idea of Tyrion and those dragons, like, that promises to spice up whatever's going on over there, right? Right. So, I mean, I, I, we might, 
I mean, I don't know. I, I probably can't speak it anymore, but, and I, and I'm certainly not making any promises because they're going way off book and I'm not promising, you know, in the past I'll be like, Oh, just wait and see. It'll pay off. But like, first of all, I've already said that the books uh, don't aren't necessarily at their strongest right now in the series. Um, and secondly, I have no idea what the show is going to do. Right. You know? uh, and look, you're, you're acting like I'm saying like the show is no good or anything. I'm just saying like, Hey, I think this is a, a potential problem that could come up this season. So sure. Sure, sure. Um, so. um, but, the, but the thing I was going to say about them killing people, you pay the price of killing people off, is as you kill people off, um, you have to seed in new characters, right, in theory, to take their place. Like, that's in theory what an Oberyn was last season, and then he's gone now. But um, – and the book does bring in a lot of new characters at this point that the show is not going to. Thank goodness, because the cast just keeps getting bigger and bigger, right? Um, so I, I think they're trying to keep them tight and slot in existing characters into new characters' places and hopefully then make those existing characters uh, even more complex and interesting. Uh, and I think it'll make for a stronger narrative overall. And I think then we'll see these other characters that, that you don't consider as much of a protagonist as Tyrion slide into that role a bit more, whoever they may be. All right. Well, we'll Possibly. see. Uh, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of A Cast of Kings. I'll tell you where you can find my work. Uh, I host another podcast called Big Problems, uh, which is a, an advice podcast I do with an actor named Stephen Tobolowsky. Check that out at bigproblemspodcast.com. Joanna Robinson from Vanity Fair. Uh, where else can we find your stuff? <laughs> Uh, if you want to hear me talk about spoilers even more than you feel I talked about on this week's episode, um, I'm co-hosting a, a Game of Thrones spoiler podcast called A Storm of Spoilers, uh, which you can find on iTunes uh, with uh, Neil Miller from Film School Rejects and Dave Gonzalez from Geek.com. And, you know, there we talk about all kinds of book spoilers. We're not going to be talking about leaked episode spoilers, but book spoilers. Um and you can find me on Twitter at Joe wrote this. And yeah, you can find me on that website that Dave mentioned. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that shall remain nameless by you, apparently. <laughs> I'm going to make you regret the decision. You'll never mention it again. Thank you guys for listening. It is great to be back. We'll see you guys next week.